today on CityCast Chicago. Illinois lawmakers promised us the most equitable cannabis industry in the country. But nearly two years after recreational weed has been legalized, black and brown people in Chicago are still trying to get into the game dominated by white growers and sellers. Then we can use that cash, right, because it's a cash-based business, to purchase properties in our community and hire people, right, to do blight reduction and um, to revitalize the community. We're talking to a reporter who covers the industry and a black business owner who was awarded a license after multiple obstacles. It's Thursday, September 9th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. To catch you up, there were three cannabis lotteries this summer to address ongoing equity concerns in Illinois. Uh, resulting, there were 185 dispensary licenses awarded. Those are your pot shops. Plus, more than 200 were given out for other parts of the cannabis business, like growing and infusion. So think edibles and extracts. The entire process, though, has been marred by lawsuits, confusion, and patchwork legislation. Chicago Sun-Times reporter Tom Shuba helps us make sense of it all. Tom, I want to jump back to 2019 when the bill was passed and signed, and then 2020 when rollout started. You know, officials in Illinois promised that Illinois was going to have the most uh, progressive cannabis system in America. And one of the ways they promised that black and brown people would get involved is through the Cannabis Social Equity Program. Can you tell me how was that program supposed to work? The lawmakers who wrote this legislation and the governor, Governor Pritzker, who campaigned on legalizing cannabis, the line was we've drafted the most, quote, equity centric bill. And the aim was, you know, we have this just overwhelmingly white cannabis industry. And so the idea was, you know, we create this uh, application process where licenses are then prioritized people who are, you know, qualify as so-called social equity applicants. To get these extra points, you had to either live in an area that was deemed disproportionately impacted by past drug enforcement or have a past uh, cannabis offense on your record. This third option, which was hiring a majority of a workforce that kind of checked those boxes. And so if you did those things, you got these extra points that were crucial, that was supposed to make sure that bulk of these licenses were going to these social equity applicants. I tell people it's not for the faint of heart. J.R. Fleming was one of those social equity applicants. He's a longtime community organizer focused on fair housing and now cannabis equity. A lot of my experience um, coming from housing had been, um, and, and not just housing, so I have a construction arm to my company, right? And so we were used to traditionally bidding on projects with the housing authority, with private corporations, and you had to put together what they call requests for proposals. And that's the same process for applying for a state license. You got to submit so much information around background bios, resumes, right? Then you got to submit so many exhibits, right? Operations plan, business plan, management plan, um, facilities plan, blueprints. And so I had experience in that area. Before we got into the process, time when you first looked at that breakdown of how they plan to score applications, did you think to yourself, okay, this could work? Or did you have some skepticism from the jump? I think I was, uh, you know, hopeful that the system that was put in place would would accomplish the legislative intent. And it still does feel like 
uh, you know, the lawmakers behind the bill and the governor were working in good faith to get this done. There were hundreds of groups that applied for dispensary licenses. And last year they announced just 21 of these groups qualified for this lottery to pick out the winners of 75 licenses. What me and some other reporters did was, you know, go and look at who these 21 groups were and their ownership. And what we found was, you know, uh, a group with really close connections to state government that had, you know, the famed restaurateur Phil Stefani as one of its partners. And uh, I found that a uh, Cook County Commissioner Bridget Degnan was partnered in one of these teams. She previously was a, uh, you know, big cannabis regulator. And, and that kind of drip, drip, drip of revelation about who was behind these companies groups slowly coming forward and and raising these serious questions about how the grading was done and asking kind of why they weren't included and why they didn't get perfect scores. So I know in a dispensary application, um, they gave me a 222. I'm like, that's impossible. Out of 250, right? You know, this is BS. Like, I want you to take a look at this application again and rescore it. And when they came back with the 245, now I'm going, come on. Why did I get the 250? We got a veteran on the application. And they were like, well, the veteran had to have a majority ownership. Well, the veteran is a family member. It's a family company. And I'm the person who was impacted by the, by the sale of drugs. I was convicted. JR and others filed lawsuits against the state saying the scoring did not do what lawmakers said it would. Ultimately, what happened was State Rep. LaShawn Ford worked with this kind of contingent of social equity applicants. And in doing that, they created two additional lotteries for, and each of those lotteries, they dished out 55 licenses. So they've done all three of the lotteries now. Now that we've had the additional dispensary license lotteries, now that we've given out the licenses for cultivation, for infusion, for transportation, can you tell me who are some of the people who won licenses this time around? It's been a mixed bag. So there have been uh, some, you know, some of the big leading equity voices, right, in this fight, like Edie Moore, who just stepped down as the executive director of Chicago Normal. And she did, she played a kind of outsized role in, in drafting the legislation with uh, Rep. LaShawn Ford. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. Did you just say an individual who was helping to draft the new laws then won six licenses them, themselves. You can be connected to the process and still get in on the licenses. So, yeah, it, it, there's definitely, uh, you know, I think critics would say there's potentially a conflict of interest there, but it is how it played out. Um, Ricky Hendon, a former state senator, who really kind of became the de facto spokesman for kind of the jilted social equity applicants, he was also, you know, deeply involved in that process. He won a license. And if you walk into a shop in Chicago, probably in a year from now, you will have a much higher likelihood of being in a black or brown owned shop. At the same time, existing players in the cannabis industry certainly cleaned up. You had the, uh, the co-founder of Skinny Pop, the popcorn company, who she sold that her parent company to Hershey. For $1.6 billion, she's a she's a white woman. You have like a famous Beverly Hills plastic surgeon. You have the former police chief in Harvey, a bunch of other cops. Um, I think there will be discussion before the next licensing round about how to better tailor the definition of equity. But at the same time, there's always a loophole. <laughs> you know, there's always yeah. a way to get around it. I was going to ask, I imagine some of those people probably didn't meet 
the one or the two, but maybe the third. Because if you if you have a company with over 10 employees and half of them meet one or two, you can still qualify. Do you think that is the the, the social equity uh, rule that many of these head scratches were meeting? The hiring provision had been just lambasted by social equity folks. They called it the slave master clause. It was like, you know, in their sights as like, this is wrong. I had companies reaching out to my friends, people I knew, even myself to be like, you interested in getting in? Because we trying to hire as many people as possible. And it felt icky. That I, I heard many reports about equity scams, you know, hey, give us uh, give us 200 grand and we'll write all your applications with no promise of any success. We've gone through sort of the big celebration of, of we being legalized in Illinois. Then we went through the kind of minutia of building these systems out, figuring out what the application processes would look like, how many licenses, when we'll get them out. Tom, what is all this turmoil around recreational cannabis in our state? What does that say about where we are? It says that, you know, we have a new industry that's going to be worth billions and billions of dollars and people want their share. And if people were, you know, tacitly, you know, promised a chance of that share, they're going to pursue it. <laughs> as as uh, you know, hardcore as they possibly can. You know, we have 110 licensed dispensaries in Illinois. There's 185 licenses hanging in the balance. The size of this industry is going to grow hugely. That's that's a windfall for the state in terms of revenue, but it's also a huge opportunity for the new people getting into it. People always talk about when marijuana comes to a market. The revenue around these dispensaries, cultivation facilities, they increase, right? Um, the property taxes increase and the property value increase. Well, it, it has a, a um, these Starbucks effects. Mm -hmm. You know, when they say a Starbucks come to your community, is going to be gentrified. Uh -huh. It has the same effect as the Starbucks, right? And so I was like, this is a perfect opportunity for us to um, address the issue of displacement, gentrification, and things of that nature, and instead of complaining about it from the outside, get some of that money. The war on drugs decimated black and brown communities. It fueled a wave of mass incarceration that maybe this nation has never seen before. And yet, as we are trying to build a more equitable cannabis future, whiteness is still centered in big weed. I think it's easy to say that money is driving that, but is there something else behind that, Tom? It's money. I was talking about this when we went to, from 55 to 100 dispensaries. In that process, there was like this huge wave of consolidation, right? Big companies buying out dispensaries, new companies trying to gain footholds. Like any other major uh, consumer packaged good, what do those industries look like? You got Coke and Pepsi and then you got Dr. Pepper, but there's only so many sodas that you see in 7-Eleven. And they probably are all owned by like t two companies. Yeah. And they're probably owned by a couple companies. And I think like, you know, look at, for example, look what's happening with like the seltzers, right? Hard seltzers. That's a big thing, right? And everyone's trying to do a hard seltzer right now. But how that market is going to play out probably is that it's going to be consolidated. 
Tom Shuba is an amazing reporter with the Chicago Sun-Times. Thank you so much for joining us on CityCast Chicago to talk about CityCast Cannabis. Appreciate it, Jacoby. This has been fun. For sure. Tom, if you're trying to put together a small little group and you, uh, <laughs> you need some social equity partners, you know, hit your boy up. Hit your boy up. Gotcha. <laughs> Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. Staying on cannabis, a city council committee advanced a bill backed by Mayor Lightfoot that allows weed to be sold downtown but not on Michigan Avenue. Every state is on Chicago's travel advisory, meaning travelers to and from Chicago are supposed to follow COVID testing and quarantine procedures. The city's daily COVID case average is about 450. Rogers Park neighbors have installed their fourth life ring at Pratt Pier after park officials removed the first three. Now, the park says it's a liability because the safety ring would encourage swimming, but residents say the beaches need more safety equipment in light of recent drownings. And some good news to get you through. The Shy Soul Fest starts tomorrow at Navy Pier. You can go check out free performances, including Left Jones and Olive Blue, and Tamari T and the Electric Company. Remember, for more Chicago news and events, check out our daily newsletter, chicago.citycast.fm. And wherever you listen to the podcast, if they got an option to give us a review, leave us five stars, then go ahead and do it. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Talking about selling weed in Chicago.